Today's sermon passage is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through chapter 10, verse 18. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priests enter the holy places every year with blood, not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But, as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
So now, our Father and our God, we come into your presence in the name of Jesus. We come into your presence because Christ has lived, has died, has risen again, sits at the right hand of your throne, reigning over the earth today. We come in his name. We come believing that in Christ you care for us and will minister to your people because of Jesus. We come believing you've sent your spirit to dwell within us. You've sent your spirit to guide us into truth. You've sent your spirit to help us understand your word. And we come believing that, that today you are eager to work mightily among your people. Lord, I only know the tip of the iceberg of the people gathered in this room. But many of us come in here today broken, hurting, weary. And I pray you would minister grace, healing, mercy, and restoration. Many of us come in here today doubting, and I pray you would minister truth. Many of us come in here today stuck in our own sin, stuck in our own brokenness, and I pray you would minister freedom. Many of us come here today confused, not sure where we stand, and I pray you would minister Jesus and His grace in clarity. Saving clarity. May all the people gathered in this room today walk away from here in Christ and comforted by you. Now Lord, to this end, I simply stand as a servant. And I pray that you would enable me to be a part of what you're doing in this room today as we look at your word together. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. If you haven't already, I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. As Austin said earlier, if you didn't bring a Bible today, you'll find one under the chair in front of you, and we would um, encourage you to use that with us. So here at Redeemer, we are working through the book of Hebrews. That's how we approach preaching, and, th- and that's how we are approaching um, this book. Uh, we believe that God has spoken His Word in the Bible, and we believe that understanding it and hearing it as spoken is to our good and how we know the Lord. And so, we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews today. Now, if you're our guest today, um, you've come, shall I say, in the middle of a home tour. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10 are really kind of one thought. And it's laid out in chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus is better. And what Jesus has accomplished 
is better. For us. And so what happens in chapter 8, 9, and 10 is it's kind of like going to tour a house. You go into the house and you see like the welcome area and then you hang a left and you go into um, like a, a dining area and then you go into a living area and then you go into a kitchen and then you find the bedrooms. Then you find all the stuff they're trying to hide from you. Like that's how you look at a house. And the way these chapters have, have played out is, okay, so in this room we're going to stop and we're going to see that in this room Jesus is better. And then we're going to go to this room and we're going to see that the new covenant is better. And then we're going to go to this room and we're going to see that the sacrifice that Jesus offered is better. And so today we're going to step into another room. And what we're going to see is that, that, that what Jesus has accomplished through His sacrificial death on a cross and His resurrection is a better access to God that will last forever. So it's a room. Maybe the whole house is the gospel of Jesus, but this room that we're focusing on today, based on these chapters, is that Jesus Christ, through His blood, is now at the right hand of God, pleading for the mercy of His people, and representing His people, and ministering to His people, and in Christ we have an eternal Access to the Father that is a good gift for us. That's the truth. So often some of you guys come to church because you were made to come to church. Maybe a friend twisted your arm to be here today. So let me just give it to you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has opened real access to God the Father that will last forever for all who come in His name. There's an invitation, there's a truth, and there's a hope. And my job today is to be a tour guide. It's to say, let's look at the room and let's see all the ways that what Jesus has done for us is good. What Jesus is doing for us is good. What Jesus will always do for us is good. Are you guys ready? All right. So, here's the way our house tour in the book of Hebrews is working out. In every room, the author does, makes pretty much the same argument. It says this, God's had an eternal plan, and that eternal plan is, is to redeem a people through the blood of His Son. And then what the author's going to do is he's going to analyze how that eternal plan has unfolded through what he calls the Old Covenant and the new covenant, through what he, we might call the law of Moses and the gospel of Jesus, through what we might call life of Israel, life of the church. But he's going to compare and contrast as a way to elevate. And so it's really easy to do that when one is far superior. And, and the argument is Jesus and his work is superior. And what he's done for us is superior. And so today, what we see that is superior is that Jesus has given eternal and complete access to the Father that will last forever. That's what we see. So let's look at these verses and see how he lays out this argument. Verse 23 begins like this. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things... Now that's referring to the earthly temple 
the earthly holy place, the earthly holy of holies that would have been known in Israel in the Old Covenant. It was necessary for the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And so the argument that's being made here is Jesus made a better sacrifice, His own blood, and that better sacrifice has given us something that the temple and the blood of goats and the blood of lambs can never give us. It's given us access to the presence of God that will last forever. So let's look at how he makes that argument. Verse 24. Christ has entered heaven itself. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. So first, Christ, because of His better sacrifice, has not entered an earthly dwelling made with hands, but He's entered into the presence of God. So Jesus is in the presence of God. He's entered the holiest of holiest. The holy of holies. He is there. And what's He doing there? He's entered on our behalf. Jesus is in the presence of God the Father in the holy of holies on the behalf of His people. Okay, well, why is that good news that He is there on our behalf? He, verse 26, appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So what we're told is that Jesus has entered the presence of God and stands there ministering on our behalf because He offered His perfect righteous life as a sacrifice in His blood for our sin. It was the intent of Jesus to put away our sin in the sacrifice of Himself. So the good news in this passage is that Jesus has entered the holy place. Jesus ministers and dwells in the presence of God on behalf of His people pleading the the sacrifice of His own blood for our acceptance into the presence of God. And then the way the argument's going to go Is chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, are going to argue that those Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifices that were offered repeatedly were never able to accomplish the purification of sin. They were never able to accomplish the righteousness of those bringing the sacrifice. But, verse 10, by the offering 
of the body of Jesus, we have been made pure. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart for God's good and holy purposes. And then, verses 11 through 18, the argument's going to be made that the priests worked daily to offer repeatedly the same sacrifice over and over and over again that can never take away sins, that can never cleanse the person bringing the sacrifice fully. But verse 12, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins that perfectly accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. So much so that the author is then going to quote again, as he has multiple times through this section, Jeremiah chapter 31. I will put my laws into their hearts and write them on their minds and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So what we're being told here is that Jesus Christ through His sacrificial life has purchased for all who come in Him the forgiveness of sins, a righteous standing before God, and a welcome into the presence of God whereby God through Christ will minister His grace and His mercy and His peace and His kindness and His care and His concern to His people forever. So I want us to analyze this point about eternal and complete access with this question. Is eternal and complete access to God a good thing? Is it a good thing? Look with me at chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is, it's appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Now, this is as close to old school revival preaching Jamie as you're ever going to get here at Redeemer. But when it's in the text, you just got to go there. Here's what verse 27 says. All y'all who are alive, I think that's everybody here today. Y'all all alive? Alive? Back here in the left, we're alive. Why back here? Okay. Thank you. Everybody that's alive, here's what the text says. This is the only life we have. And it's going to come to an end. As Austin prayed earlier, God numbered our days before the foundation of the earth. And when it ends, we're all going to stand before the Lord. That's what it says. And then comes judgment. So there's two ways to stand before the Lord. Jamie Mosley can stand before the Lord in Jamie, or I can stand before the Lord in Jesus. And if I stand before the Lord in Jamie, what's implied in this passage is I'm just a guy who's going to be held accountable for everything I've said, done, thought, or wanted to do. 
But if I stand before the Lord covered in the blood of Jesus, I'm going to stand in Christ. And God's going to see the righteousness of Jesus and the, the love that He's going to love me as He loves Jesus. And He's going to see what Christ has done and He's going to account it to me. That's what the passage says. Everybody's going to have access to God at least once. But if you go in Jamie, you will not enjoy it and it will not be a good thing. But what this passage says is that if you come in Christ, the presence of God is the safest, most loved, most cared for, most benevolent place to be in all of the world for all of eternity. So yes, come to Jesus because eternity hangs in the balance. But there's so much more here. It says come to Jesus because today, if you're in Christ, Jesus is before the Father pleading your mercy today. And Jesus is before the Father crying out for our prayers to be heard today. And Jesus is before the Father ministering the grace of the Father to His children today. All things are made new in Jesus. This passage says that Jesus came to purchase complete and eternal access to the Father, which is a good and gracious gift. Frankly, the greatest, most gracious gift ever known. So I have, I must, I'm compelled to press into all of you today. How are you responding to Jesus? This is the essential question of all this sacrificial system conversation we've been having for the last few weeks. Chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus has offered His life and His blood for His people. Chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, He's protected, perfected and protected, slip, for all time, those who are being sanctified. And in Christ, God declares, I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. This is our invitation in Jesus. So now in my second point, second point, living with access. I want to talk for a couple of minutes to those who are in Christ. And we're going to answer this question. What does it look like to live in Christ with access to the Father? But I also want to talk to some of you who are maybe wrestling. Like, I don't know. Am I in Christ? And I hope that this 
these next few minutes will help you as well. So I made a list of like 10 things that I thought living with access to the Father meant. But we're almost out of time. And two of them are very present in this passage. So I want us to focus on the two that are very present in this passage. Number one, those in Christ eagerly wait for Christ to return. Those in Christ eagerly wait for Christ to return. Now I'm taking that straight out of the passage. So look with me at chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it appoint, is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Now, now follow the logic here. Christ came the first time to deal with sin. He offered His life as a sacrifice. Christ is coming again. Why is He coming? To save eternally and fully those who eagerly wait for Him. Now, if you were reading this as a first century Jew, you would see the word picture that he's playing here. Because going through chapter 9 and chapter 10, he's comparing Jesus to the earthly high priest, right? And what the earthly high priest would do on the day of atonement is there would be a sacrifice, there would be an animal killed, there would be the shedding of blood, and then the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the physical room, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And what would the people do while he was in the room? They would stand around and they would eagerly wait on him to come out and the celebration would ensue because the Lord had accepted the offering for their sin. So a first century Jew would go, oh, I get it. You're saying there was a room and the high priest would go in with the blood offering and he would stay there in the presence of God and then he would come out and when he came out, there would be a huge celebration because the offering of the blood had been accepted for the people. I get it. So you're saying that Jesus is the high priest, and instead of going into the room, he went into the heavens. He went into the literal presence of God. And there, he's not offering the blood of a bull or a goat, but he's offering the once-for-all sacrifice of himself to cover the sins once-for-all of all who will ever believe And just like the high priest imaged, he's going to come out one more time to finally give to us, the children of Jesus, the perfect eternal deliverance that our souls yearn for. Now, I was never a first century Jew hanging out at the temple on the Day of Atonement. Anybody else here? But I guess if we were, we probably wouldn't have been checking our iPhone while he was in there making sacrifice for our sins. I probably guess the Vol score wouldn't have been that important on the Day of Atonement. 
I don't know. I tell you, one of the, the horrors of being a preacher is that I have to spend seven days pondering this stuff. You can just listen and go home and act like it never happened. I hope you don't, but you can. And I just have to be honest, I don't know if the life of Jamie Mosley is that characterized by eager waiting for Jesus. I think I love this world way too much. I think I just want this world to be easier far more than I want Jesus to come and take me out. So, I'm going to give you a a metaphor that I hope helps you this week. One day this week, um, my wife had something to do, so I was working from home, and um, one of my sons had a friend picking him up at 11 o'clock. So he gets to be done with school for the day and go to a friend's house. So like all patient kids, at 1045, he's on the front porch, right? I mean, just like sitting fixated on the driveway, waiting on his friend's mom to pull in. About 11.05, she's running a little bit late. I take a phone call. My son came back in, so I thought he'd been picked up. I get off my phone call. At 11.45, now a whole hour after he's been out there, and the lady is 45 minutes late, my son is still sitting on the top step of my porch, fixated on the driveway eagerly waiting on that car to pull in so that he can be delivered from the bondage of school and homework and set free to spend the afternoon with his friend. I don't know. I realize we can't sit on the front porch and act like life doesn't happen. But I tell you what, as I sat there pondering my son that day, I thought, He is way more interested in going to that friend's house than he is anything else in in here. And I know it because of the way he's sitting still, fixated on the front porch for an hour. I don't know, guys. Are we eagerly waiting on Jesus to come and set us free? This says that living with unhindered access to the Father calls us to that type of eager, hopeful anticipation. I said I was going to speak to those of you who aren't sure where you stand with the Lord. I think one of the things that happens when we come to know Christ is our desires change over time. And we start to long for the things of Jesus far more than we settle for the things of this world. And so I think this question about eager, hopeful anticipation, it is a a diagnostic question for the state of our soul. So I send you home to ponder it prayerfully and ponder it deeply. Second, we who live with eternal access to the Father confidently rest in Christ. We confidently rest in Christ. Look at verse 11 of chapter 10 with me. So the author is going to make a comparison between the earthly priests and Jesus. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, 
offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. Can never take away sins. So what was the life of a priest? It was a life of busyness, a life of scurrying around, constantly offering sacrifices that could never fully accomplish what they were set out to accomplish. I, I see the life of an Old Testament priest being one of busyness, one of anxiety, one of I got to do the right thing at the right time in the right way, right? Verse 12, contrast. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I'll ask you this question. How confident was Jesus in the effect of his blood for his people? So confident that he sat down and he rested. Jesus is so confident that if you stand in him, you will have all the blessings of God that he sat down and he rested, waiting on the day of his return. Now, if Jesus, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who holds the world together by the power of his word, is so confident in the power of his blood that he sits down and rests, what effect should his blood have on his people? We confidently rest in Him. And friends, I believe that our human hearts are wired to try to perform for God's blessing. It's just the way our fallen nature is hardwired. And what I believe this passage would call us to is to so believe that we're eternally accepted in the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus that we too can rest in confidence like He does. The once for all sacrifice of Jesus says there's nothing left for Jamie to accomplish because Jesus has accomplished it for me. The once for all sacrifice of Jesus says that the sin I'm going to commit at 137, by the way, I have no idea what it is, at 137 this afternoon was known and covered in the blood of Jesus on a cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And when I commit that sin, the Lord would call me to repent, but I don't have to do anything to cover it because Jesus already covered it. And that thing, again, I don't know if this is all hypothetical, that thing from my past that I'm hiding, that I don't know anyone to know about, it would be good for it to come out. It would be good for it to be confessed. It would be good so I can be delivered from it. But when it comes out and when it's confessed, there's nothing about that that causes me to have to earn anything for Jesus from Jesus because Jesus died for that too. And I want you to live in that kind of freedom, that type of rest. I rest in Jesus. Access to the Father through the Son is intended to provide that type of confident rest. So diagnostically, 
How often are we found losing sleep and filled with anger and anxiety and tension and fear over things that Jesus has already dealt with? I want you to know the full and total deliverance of the blood of Jesus. So Father, I pray now that you would come and work in power among your people. Whatever's been said here today that is good and right and helpful and true, I pray you would cause your people to hear it and believe it. Lord, I pray anyone in this room who is far from you, I pray today that by your Spirit they would be brought near. Let this be the day of salvation, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Congregation, at this time we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Invitation from Jesus is to take the bread and take the cup as a declaration that I belong to Christ. His sacrifice is my everything. So here at Redeemer Church, we invite everyone who's a Christian, that's everyone who's placed faith in Jesus for salvation and and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today you're not sure where you stand with Jesus or you know you're far from Him, We'd ask that you let the bread and the cup pass, not because we want to exclude you from anything, but because we don't want you to settle for a piece of bread and some juice. We want you to know Jesus. So while we pass out the bread and the cup, I would invite you to read and consider Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 30, 23 through 28. I would love to talk with you about that. So we're going to sing. These guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.